Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Before she transitioned in 2015, Alison and her wife were a typical heterosexual nuclear family, mum, dad and three kids living in the burbs of Sydney. Since then, they've moved to a semi-rural town on the outskirts of Sydney and had to grapple with what gender means to their family. Their experience has not been easy, but it's been full of surprises, including the way their tiny community rallied around them during the infamous postal survey about gay marriage. Hi, Alison. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, you have come so far in so many ways. What elements of your life are the same as when you lived in the suburbs of Sydney? Oh, um, most of them is what comes to mind to start with. Um, I think the things that have changed the most are absolutely nothing to do with gender, just to get that one off, I think. So, I mean, we we lived in a, on a small block and didn't really know people around us and had been there for a couple of years and we only had a couple of the kids at the time. And um, we went, this isn't working for us. We kind of got two options here. We're either going to move closer into the city where we knew there was community. And at the time we weren't looking for LGBTI community. It was just community that we could um, hook up with. Or we're going to move out because I'd always been interested in living out further in the country and exploring kind of that, you know, lifestyle and space. Um, And yeah, I would say that the things that have changed the most are really around the fact that uh, we have one negative from moving to the country, which is I have a really long commute. <laughs> <laughs> I work in IT, so the the jobs and the money are in the city, um, but I can do that commute. But everything else has been a positive of moving to the country. It's been a really great space for us. We've uh, made a lot of friends and uh, become part of the community well before I transitioned and kind of got our um, got a space where we were really happy to be bringing up kids. And that's one thing when you have small children that you really, I think, yearn for is that community, the roots, the um, neighbour that you can ask for a cup of milk from. And that's what you found when you moved that you didn't have in the suburbs. We did find that. Um, maybe not our immediate neighbour because even our nearest ma- neighbour is like five minutes walk away. So, you know, <laughs> and then the, but the people we did connect with are a little further away. Um, but absolutely, we found that... Locally, we've got we were able to build what we didn't have um, in a way that felt like it was right for us. And, and you have like a menagerie of animals, <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. Um, I think that started with my wife's desire to help every animal on the planet, um, <laughs> which we managed to dial back while we were living on a four hundred square meter block in the city. Um, we had you know dogs, and then we kind of went, "Well, oh, but we'd like more, and we'd like more, and we'd like more," and. Um, we ended up, we moved to the country and rented. We rented on about an acre, which in, is massive in the city. Um, and we were looking to buy an acre and we ended up buying five acres wow. of empty land that had nothing on it. And we built the fences and the sheds. We designed the house. We did everything. And it's it's our little place. And we're, it's, we've been there that long now. We're about to start renovations. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. And how old are your kids now? So my eldest is 11. And uh, she was born when we were in the suburbs still. And then I have two boys, uh, eight and five, who were born uh, either on our current property or in one of the rentals nearby before we actually moved on and the house was finished. So when children are small, life is hectic. You're becoming a parent. You're discovering what it is to be a parent. 
How difficult was it at that time in particular to understand that you weren't the gender you were born with? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. It's a good question because I know of ooh, at least three or four other trans women specifically who identified about the same time. So when they'd had their second or their third child, it's, it's almost like you get the opportunity of going, well, this is where I was supposed to be. Like I've, I've lived out the, the story of the picket fence and all of that sort of stuff, but something's still not quite right. Um, so I didn't identify with that as a child, like a lot of people. That's kind of the standard story, but from speaking to um, counsellors and things over the years, it's actually only about 50% of trans people that actually pick that up during their childhood, and I was not one of those people. Um, I knew things were not right, but I wasn't able to work out. I never kind of, you know, refused to wear gender conformant clothes or anything like that. That's not how it worked for me. Um, so with the kids, it was just a matter of, um, I'm seeing this all falling into place now, but uh, why am I still not happy? What's still in my brain holding me back? And as I started to analyze that and, um, around me, this was probably around 24, 14, so it's only five years ago, due time has flown, um, we saw more happening uh, around with other people identifying visibly as transgender and transitioning. And uh, it made me go, wait, is there a thing there? Maybe that's the thing over there. Um, and I was in utter denial for years beyond that point. It was only in 2015. Okay, that's not years, but even in 2015, like it. It, oh, it did. It was a mm. very slow process of attempting to accept this about myself. Um, and uh, eventually in uh, 2016, uh, started transitioning and uh, then kind of went from there onwards. How did you discover that? You say you <clears throat> were, you didn't know what was not quite right. Mm -hmm. You had had your children and was like, well, why aren't I still happy? And there's probably a lot of people who go through wondering why they're not happy in that situation. Yeah. How did you discover the truth for yourself? Was it through counselling? Was it through talking with your wife? How did you become... Definitely counselling. So yeah, not not far up the road from your studios actually is um, the Gender Centre, which is a great thing we've got here in Sydney. And uh, we went there. It's a government-funded service um, and met the counsellor there who I had a very long-standing um, kind of counselling relationship with. And he was brilliant. And within the space of a week, I asked him in during a session, so do you think I'm trans? And he said, yes. And I went home and independently, my wife said, I think you're trans. And they had decided before I had. And it was still a little while longer before I was like, I think I better accept this and work it out. I kind of describe working out that I was trans and deciding to transition as my least bad option. So there were plenty of other options that I had on the table. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't go through with any of them. But um, yeah, I basically thought I was going to lose everything. And that hasn't been the case. Let's talk about that because, um, of course, your relationship with your counsellor is important, mm. but it strikes me that one of the most fundamental relationships here is the one that you have with your wife. Absolutely. And the fact that not only she could identify what was happening for you, yep. but support you in that. Mm. Um, what did this mean for your relationship? I started out, I haven't heard anyone else ever use this line. In fact, every other trans person I've noted has kind of had the opposite, um, which is that I wasn't going to transition if it meant losing my relationship. It was more important to me to keep that relationship. We had the strongest relationship of anyone that we ever, that we knew. And we looked around and since we'd been married, you know, a number of our friends had already divorced and things like that. And we were like, no, this isn't, this doesn't have to spell the end of a relationship if we don't want it to. 
And that was really difficult because there's, like I said, the gender center exists and provides support for trans people or people who are gender questioning in some way. But there's basically no support for partners of trans people or for children or families of trans people. So they go through their own transition. You know, my parents had to go, oh, hang on a minute, I've got a daughter? What? Um, you know, what? <laughs> how does that work? Um, and, um, and how old were you when you transitioned? Um, I feel like I should have some of these numbers to hand because the last few years has been crazy. So I was <laughs> Sorry, about, you do have three children. <laughs> yeah, I was about 36. Yeah. Yep. So for your parents, that's 36 years of having a son. Yeah. <laughs> then say, and how long had you been married for? So, uh, we've just had, and I'm going to get in trouble because it's this weekend, <laughs> we're about to have our 13th wedding anniversary. So wow. that means about 10 years. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, um... That is an incredible situation, isn't it? When you say that there's not support for families Absolutely. and partners, there's nothing out there. Yeah, is that because um, I think I mentioned I saw it written somewhere that um, for you and your wife it was a conscious choice to stay together, mm. but for most trans people who are in a couple, their heterosexual relationship yeah. falls apart. Right. So the default, everything we read and every story we could find early on was that, well, that's great that you've discovered who you are. Now, when your relationship breaks up, then you'll have to go through all these other things like separating and your kids and they might have to, you know, when, and then they visit you and we were like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. What happened back there? Like, wh where's this assumption come from? And um, yeah, my wife, did go to some very limited sport groups. And, and by that, I mean, they started and ran for a few sessions and that was it. And they only existed because someone decided to run one-off sessions. So there's no agency you can walk up to and say, I've got this challenge and I don't know where to go. And at that session, there seemed to be like a 50-50 split of partners. And it wasn't just heterosexual, like nominally heterosexual couples. There was lesbian couples there where one was transitioning. So they were actually transitioning into what looked like a heterosexual couple. Um, but all in common with all of that was there's kind of these two groups of one group going, I can't process this. I cannot deal uh, with there being, you know, different underwear on the line or whatever the lines were. And they just hadn't they were probably never going to get through that, to be honest. Um, some might have, but they were like their starting point was a real challenge. And then there was this other group who said, well, we kind of came here because we want to stay with our partners. We just don't really know how. Um, and it turns out what most of that group was after was just finding other people that wanted to make the same statement because they hadn't found anybody. So we actually started up an online support group for partners, uh, two groups. So one for couples where one person in the couple changes their gender identity or expression during a relationship and you want to stay together. And another group for specifically for the partners in that situation, the non-transitioning partners, for them to share experiences. And we've got kind of members um, on the Eastern Seaboard of New South Wales. Not, none of them are massive because we don't advertise them. They're all kind of secret groups, but feel free to get in touch if you're interested. I'm sure we can find a way. And that's to protect the identity of those in there because otherwise people aren't going to feel that they can share what they want to share. And especially the partners group, they actually have physical meetups and they go and talk and they go to a park or they go to a pub or they, they have a space where they can just kind of go, yeah, isn't it funny when? <laughs> uh, and I, I think that that's really quite important for that space. And uh, that was the same, I find, that the children needed. And that's where we found Rainbow Families as an organisation. And we kind of were able to put our children and say, look, here's other families that are in some way non-standard. I'm going to use the word not normal because that's, you know, we're trying to get a long way past that. 
And as soon as they went, oh, what, there's other families where there's two mums? They were like, okay, well, it's no big deal then. And they just got on with life. You found the Rainbow Families and I'm sure for you that was a relief because you were wanting something to support your kids just Mm. like your wife had support. Before you found Rainbow Families, were you worried about how transitioning would affect the children? I'm still worried about it, to be honest. But they've proven me to me that I don't really need to worry about it too much. So absolutely. Um, uh, My wife and I spent quite a long time working through how on earth we would communicate this to our children. Um, And in the end, out of the three, there was only one where our kind of worries were justified. The other two, uh, my daughter was old enough to be able to process it and go, ah, so this is her line. I I love it. It was so, ah, you're going to change your outside to match your inside. And I went, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's exactly what it is. And that's what a, I guess, seven or eight-year-old at the time, words she used, and it was simple. And the next line was, can we go shopping for dresses together? <laughs> so, My kind of girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that knocked me for six. She was the, uh, being oldest, she was first. And then the youngest, he never really knew any difference. He was only about one or two, like I said earlier, um, it, it's it's often when there's a really young one running around that people have a cause to go, hang on, now what in life? And that was the stage he was at. So he's never, he doesn't remember any different. Um, and then the middle child who's uh, my son, he's, uh, he's now eight. And he's quite worried about things like, oh, but what will happen to my dad? And who's going to take me to the hardware shop and things like this? And I'm like, when he said that, I went, we literally went to the hardware shop today. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, oh, yeah. But, you know, he had these concerns that we had to deal with. um, And he had a challenging class at his school that year um, and and for the next year as well. And uh, with a lot of other behaviour issues, nothing to do with this. And he must have copped a lot of crap at school from um, other kids uh, once they found out what was going on. Because it was a thing at the school for a while for the kids. Um, And then it really hasn't been more recently. And uh, now they're at the point where it's it's a non-issue. We really don't talk about it at home unless it gets raised. So what are your worries still? I mean, you are a parent. Absolutely. So it is your remit to worry, but, but what? <laughs> it's in the contract. Yeah, that's right. But what what do you specifically worry about now? Even though your kids are, uh, have sort of shown that, you know, their children they move on. What are you worried about? I think my biggest worry. Um, my daughter's in year six this year, so year seven is a high school. Um, Our school being a tiny little country school, we were able to kind of stage manage everything, um, all the teachers, all the staff, even all the kids in a way that was best for our kids. But I think there's 80 children enrolled this year at our school. So next year, it's going to be over a thousand wherever she ends up. And it's going to be a big change. Mm. Um, And I guess I'm a bit worried about how that's going to differ and what different lines she might get. But... Maybe I'm worrying about nothing. I mean, we we are talking about another generation that's considerably more enlightened than some of the generations that came before. We can only hope. Huh? We can only hope. Um, and not many of her kids from her school are going to go to whatever school she ends up at. Um, look, you know, stories will get around and we'll deal with them. So, but I mean, that answer is almost like I'm more worried about me, and it's not because I I think we no one wants their kids to you know, be bombarded by things that they didn't get to choose. And I think that was the worry. Oh, it's not about you. I mean, it, it, 
I completely understand. Any parent would understand when you say that, yeah. that your fear is how it will impact them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And you, you, when you say um, that with the school, because it was small, you were able to stage manage the experience that children had there. That seems to me that you, you had, you and your wife would have had quite a strong involvement with the local primary school. Is that how it went? Like you were able to go and talk to teachers, mm-hmm. you felt welcome. Absolutely. So what it, it was the end of a term when we decided that the next term after that, so after a school holiday break, the kids would go back understanding that they had two mums now. So uh, I think it was one of the last couple of days of term, I, walk, I booked some time with the principal and went and sat down and explained. I was quite clear that I wasn't asking permission. That was a men- big mental thing for me. It's like, this is what's going to happen. You're a public school. You're going to have to deal with this. Um, and she went and processed it for a little while and she said, okay, that's great. Well, you're not the first. <laughs> and we were like, hang on a minute. This is a tiny little country school. And I've been worried about this moment for so much. And you're like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's all fine. So, um, so I, I have to admit, I, I think I've been extremely lucky throughout these journeys. A lot of things we were worried about haven't panned out and haven't become problems. Um, and we worked with her as the principal to kind of come up with the strategy for how we would talk with the rest of the school and how we would talk with the teachers, even down to let's just tell the direct teachers that are directly teaching our kids to start with. And then from then, when I finally turned up looking visibly different, we would then communicate separately to everybody else. And um, when someone said, who's that? They would just be say, look, you know, that's so-and-so's second mum. And that's just how it's going to be. It took a little while for the school to be ready for that. And I remember actually by the time I did turn up, maybe I hadn't told them, maybe I hadn't said I'm coming <laughs> back this afternoon. I remember I dropped the kids off one morning in, in the morning looking a certain way. And I told, no, I didn't even tell them I was, <laughs> they were prepped for it, but it's not yeah. on that day. Yeah. And then they, in the afternoon, I turned up and um, one of the teachers who wasn't in on what was happening, um, apparently was very taken aback because being such a small school, they know who picks up who and who picks yeah. up who. And they, apparently they thought that I was my sister had come and picked up or something like there that. You so, go. Yeah. So, but even then she immediately reported it to the principal saying this person I'm not expecting. The principal said, relax. <laughs> it's all fine. Don't it worry. is. Yeah. So it was, it, well, I think it was handled really well by the school and um, being a very small school in the country, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. We don't live in the inner West. There's, well, I thought there was no precedent for this. Clearly I was wrong, but we are still today the only LGBTI family in the school, but we're not the only one that's ever been there. It strikes me that you must have um, a certain amount of armour coming into this um, because I can't remember where I read it, but they say once you have children, it's like your heart's walking around outside you. You're going through a huge change yourself, physical, emotional, the whole bit, and then you're having to drop your children off and manage Mm. those responses. Do you feel like you have become tougher through this experience? It's interesting because I think if my wife was here, she'd point out that I've always been that tough. And I had to go through a period of probably a couple of years where I stopped having the ability to live life my way. And I was super, super worried about all those things. And transition was really, for me, a moment of kind of going, I've actually got to stop caring, you know, about focus so much on other people's problems. I've got to think about me as number one for the first time in my life. And with a family, that's really difficult. I actually found that really challenging and I was constantly checking in with her to say, look, I've got to do this thing. Um, but 
uh, I need to work out how that's going to work for us as a family. So for me to consciously come out of that at the other end, I was back to the old me, just different. And um, it, I guess it helped understanding um, that I'm allowed to take up space in the world and I'm allowed to be who I am. And that's something that I guess I was brought up um, feeling that way. And it's interesting to sometimes reflect on, you know, a male upbringing nominally and what that does or doesn't um, endow you with and then how that might play out post-transition. And I have a lot of trans male friends and to see how their experiences are inversed is always great fun to compare notes. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a bit of fun going on I mean, over I, drinks for that one. I don't mean to be, you know, pessimistic, but I kind of feel like it might be more fun for them transitioning to males. Yeah, I don't know in different ways. It depends. Yeah, it, I don't think either is really about fun. Like I don't know that I would pick being trans if I had the choice, but I mm. am and I this what I've been dealt with and I'm just going to get on with life. And to a point, maybe that's the attitude is, yeah, but I've got a family, so I'm going to help them just get on with life too. And if that means making a space for uh, my wife to be able to talk to other people, and if that means making sure my kids feel like that, you know, they're part of a community, that even though they're not part of their local community feeling that same way, well, there's this other community and they're, you know, super interested in uh, rainbow families and um, being involved and they love all the things we do. We'll be back with more of Alison's story right after this. Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club. Come on, we've all been there. We've all pushed oh. our children's poo <laughs> down, down the, the drain <laughs> of the shower or bath. One that only other parents and carers can truly understand. The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children, with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. So speaking of involvement mm-hmm. with and, and building your own community, you are on the board of Rainbow Families. You've already told us how, for you, that was the support you found for your children. What has Rainbow Families meant to you as a family? I think where this was new to us is we were what we thought was a straight family living a straight life. And didn't, I mean, we had a number of um, gay friends. We didn't know anyone who was trans. Um so we've been, <laughs> by virtue of my decision to transition, have become part of the LGBTI community. So it's given us a space where collectively we can be a family in a community of other similar families or even not that similar, but somehow having something in common. And um I think it's really important for any family to have something like that. I mean, if you're a family that is into horse riding, you'll probably know other families that do horse riding or, you know, whatever example you can come up with. Um, You might be really into some sort of sport or something like that. And we didn't really have any of those other than being a family in the country. And we, you know, made some friends by virtue of our kind of um, environmental bits and pieces that we're interested in and things we do in that space. But we didn't have a lot of close family friends. And for us, it's almost like, but here's this ginormous family that you've just become part of. Um, and, and what's it like in the in the country areas? You mentioned before, um, you know, that you were kind of surprised at how the community rallied around you yep. in this part of the Australia that mm-hmm. you might not necessarily associate with yep. um, diverse families, yep. but you found that community. What's it been like working with Rainbow Families in that area? 
in yeah. the country, you know. Yeah, I do. Um, so one of the things we're trying to pick up this year um, a bit more is our work in the regional space. So Rainbow Families, you know, there's no two ways about it. It's based in Newtown. So it's... To, <laughs> It's core, and and it's also based as an LGB organisation, so T is new to them as well. So this is something that um, it's where I started to get involved. So, but in terms of the rural and regional areas, it's a matter of kind of identifying and acknowledging that there is a gap between what services you can get in the city and what support you can find in the city versus anyone who's not there. I mean, where, where we live, yes, we're in sort of semi-rural, but I can get to the city and I do every day in about an hour and a half. Whereas, you know, if I lived in Tamworth or Burke or something like that, I wouldn't have that. So um, it's been about looking at what local resources do exist. So there's organisations like ACON that do have regional kind of support networks and are aware of other regional groups that exist or councils might run something. And trying to build a bridge and say, well, you've got a local space that is already latched into your local community. We're focused on delivering um, support and kind of social services, probably social is a better word than support, for um, uh, the families in this space. So the families can often be left out, as we talked about before. It might, the service might be focused on delivering support for the trans person. But um, and I get contacted by an awful lot of people saying, um, I hear you've got a support group for partners. I'm in Tamworth and my partner's just transitioning. I know nothing about this help. And it's about hooking them up with either a local service in the LGBTI space or maybe an online group um, specifically who share their experiences. Um, and that's where I've kind of started to help by building some of those bridges between the support groups that are out there. With um, any monogamous relationship, it sounds like you and your wife started in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um I can, don't know if I should use my own marriage as an example, but it's hard work sometimes. It's very it's, true. <laughs> um, do you think that this experience has made you even better communicators than before you transitioned because you had so many things you needed to talk about and be honest about? And Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So everything's on the table now. And there were things that, like I said, I hadn't admitted to myself, so they were inside. And once I got that out... Um, it was never anything I actively withheld. And this is where, you know, my, every story is different that goes through something like this. But once I realized that I had a very strong ally in my amazing wife, that I was going to keep working with that. So, yes, our marriage is definitely stronger for the honesty. I wouldn't say stronger for the transition. The transition is part, part of the honesty. But, um, yeah, it just the fact that um, I was able to do all that communication and she was able to say, I have no idea how we're going to get through this, but we're going to get through this. Um, And yeah, here we are. Nearly 13 years. Hopefully that's lucky. (laughs) Of course it is. Yeah. And what did it mean legally? I mean, it's it's kind of hit, in some ways you think it's, it's you know, it's not really relevant, but in other ways it is. It is, yeah. So we have a New South Wales marriage certificate from when we got married. So we've been together for, uh, this is our 23rd year together, but we've been married legally in New South Wales as man and wife, quote unquote. Um, 2006 we got married. Um, so the way New South Wales laws still stand, and I'm going to make sure I got this right, um, I can't change the gender on my birth certificate unless I fulfill a number of requirements that are still there. And if I choose not to, or if I'm unable to, uh, then I my birth certificate still says male, and I can't change that at this point. 
And those laws were slowly changed. But one of them was, and has now only just really been revoked, that you you couldn't have a woman married to a woman. So they couldn't have a situation where I could have a female birth certificate because I also had a marriage certificate. And it was almost like, does not compute. You know, they're staring at all these forms and they just Computer like... Computer says no. Exactly. So they just decided, well, I don't think there was any active decision, to be fair. But, you know, there just was no way through that quagmire. Um, now they've taken some of those restrictions away. So the restriction around marriage specifically has been removed, but others are still in play. Contrary to um, international requirements, which Australia has signed up to, and... While they are still a thing, it means that we're not in a situation, or a lot of trans people are not in a situation, where they can have a marriage certificate. I would actually probably say I'm willing to tolerate that. But you know what upsets me more than that is the fact that I can't change my children's birth certificates. So when they were born, my old name is on there. And even when you're doing something as simple as going to soccer and registering and having to hand over a birth certificate, people are like, well, who's this person? And I'm like... You know what? I really don't want to talk about that right now. I just want my kid to kick a soccer ball. Um, And then if you do want to prove your way through that, you've got to go and hand over your birth. I do have an updated birth certificate that's got my new name on it, Mm. but it's also got my old name on it and it still says male. And I have to provide both those documents to establish a legal parenting situation with my children. And yeah, I, I would say that bothers me more than the marriage certificate. And it's interesting because the, the birth, deaths and marriages take on that when I asked them about it was, no, it just documents a point in time. That's it. We're not interested in having it refreshed. So It's not quite how it impacts your life, though, is it? No, and the children's lives too. I mean, especially if I think about my youngest, I mean, he's never really known me the other way around. So he's going to be carrying around this thing in 30 years' time and someone's going to say, who's this? And I don't know. So it'd be interesting to see whether that changes or whether it already has changed somehow related to the um, uh, marriage equality uh, changes that you get through legislation. Um, But I haven't revisited that one, but it was definitely a challenge and it's something that is in the back of my mind quite a lot. Mm. Alison, it has been so interesting to speak with you. And if I could say, I think you're such an incredible example for your kids. Thank you. I mean, wow. Talk about lessons that they can learn from what you've done and what you've shown them how to be in the world. That was actually one of the deciders without going on too much mm. about for me transitioning because I was like, oh, what about my kids? What about my kids to my um, counsellor? And he basically said, yeah, but what about if you showed them that you need to be who you are and what would they learn from that? And I went, yeah, you're right. Actually. Oh, my gosh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> Time to finish the interview. <laughs> All right, I'll join you. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. And so brave if I can say that from standing where I am now thank you so much for speaking with us oh well thanks for having me in that was Alison Gould from Rainbow Families talking about her Rainbow Family and if you'd like to know about any of those um, organisations that Alison spoke about we'll pop the links up on our website just head to babyology.com.au forward slash feed play love in the next episode of Feed Play Love, we'll be back with Helpline and our resident mothercraft expert, Chris Minogue, answering all your parenting questions. And yeah. we're emotionally attached to them. So it's all, you know, surely if I give you a cuddle, you'll go to sleep. But actually she goes, no, now I've got a list. 
Now you have sure. to give me the cuddle and you have to sit there and I need to sing to you and maybe we'll go and listen to the wiggles. <laughs> so what we're doing yeah. is just giving her that initial comfort and then giving her short periods of time. But it'll take a little bit of time. It, w- it won't be an immediate thing. Yeah. But I think so in time it will be a better sleeping pattern. If you want to ask Chris your questions, you can email them to us directly. The email is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. This podcast was produced by Cinnamon Nippard. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you'll join me for the next episode of Feed, Play, Love.